you would, turn to the Bible to Revelation chapter 12. What an incredible honor it is for us today to have the Lamon family with us, Marks and Rachel and their four children. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, what an even bigger honor it is, and I mean this with the, the, the deepest sincerity, what an even deeper, bigger honor it is to be people that God is using to get his living and true word to people in the world. There is nothing more important than people knowing the truth of the love of God through Jesus and us getting the word to them. Uh, the Layman family will be back with us here in about six or seven weeks for homecoming. We do a homecoming every fall in the middle of October. Marcus will be our guest preacher that Sunday morning. You'll have more opportunity to meet them and hang out with them then. Uh, at the end of the service today, we're going to ask Marcus and Rachel to stand up front. If you've never met them, they have been members of our church now for about 10 years. It's been a while. It's been a long time. And um, they, they've been coming and going, and we are thankful for them. Um, they're, re they're currently relocating. They're going to be living up in Michigan. Uh, so many people in our church are involved with them, know them, have spent time with them, are on all of the ways to be connected with them. But if you're new and you don't know them or haven't met them or been involved, we, we want you to. And we would love for you to meet them today and get involved. There are so many ways to be involved. You can simply sign up for their newsletter, get their emails when they come out, hear stories like that. You can stay up to date with how that work is going. Some of us have been following that Chichipu work for many years. I think, I, th I mean, if I'm remembering right, I think I remember you saying that we're starting the Exodus work, I think, and now seeing that it's in print is just incredibly encouraging, just stories like that. I mean, a real-life story. This isn't some book that you, you, you heard about someplace that nobody knows. We, we have a family right here that knows a lady that was just handed for the first time the Word of God in a language, the only language that she knows. And the things that you and I have been raised on, people in the world are getting now for the first time ever and they, by the mercy of God, are doing that work. We want to encourage you all to be involved with that. You can sign up and be supportive of them, financially supportive. You can join their prayer team where they are asking us to continually pray for them. You can simply receive the emails. We encourage every one of you all to meet them and get to know them. Okay? All right. Revelation chapter 12. We began this chapter two Sundays ago. Uh, and, and, and I apologize for being out last Sunday in just a, a very difficult week, but we're, we're back on our feet, and we look forward to getting back into chapter 7. Last week, we began uh, chapter 12 in the first six verses, and we're going to pick up at verse 7 today. This passage is about a fight that's going on uh, in our world. There's a fight going on, and as we know, some people are always fighting, Right? Some people are always fighting. There are always fights going on. You, you have people in your lives, I hope that it is not you, but we have people in our lives that are always fighting. You know if they come over, it's going to be a fight. You know if, if you invite them to the party, it's going to be a fight. If they get involved, it's going to be a fight. There, there are people that are that way. And that's unfortunate and it's not good. The passage today in the Bible teaches us that that's how Satan is. The great adversary of God is a fighter. He's making war. He's defeated, and he's going down swinging, you might say. He is trying his best to just ruin all that he can. The Bible gives us big hope and big promises that he's defeated. He's, he's not going to win. He cannot win. Christ is the victor. He reigns on high. 
But this passage today is about that very thing. It's about the fight of the devil just trying to wreak havoc on as many people like you and I, like this world, as he can. There's a war going on, and we need to be reminded of it. I want us to read. Now, since it's been two weeks, instead of us starting at verse 7, let's start at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now that's where we stopped. If you didn't hear that sermon or you weren't here, please go back and listen to that. That was two Sundays ago. And in a nutshell, real quick, all right, there's all these characters here. The dragon is the devil, right? This is Satan. And and the child is Jesus, the Savior that came into the world, right? The woman's a little bit harder to understand, but I'm going to go a real easy route with you all. I said this two weeks ago. And the woman just represents the people of God, right? Is it Old Testament people of God? Is it all people of God? I'm just going to say the people of God. That's what the sermon was on two weeks ago. And we pick up right there, okay? Verse 7, we start today. Now war arose in heaven. What a phrase, right? What a fascinating phrase, war in heaven. That'll kind of shake the box already of everything you've thought about heaven, hasn't it? War arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. What a scene, right? I know sometimes we have people say that the Bible's not interesting. That ain't true, is it? That single verse right there captures everybody no matter what age you are. Kids here today are listening right now. Adults here today are listening to Revelation 12, 7. What in the world does that mean? Hey, people try to say the Bible's boring. They may have picked up at a, at a low spot. Let's say that. The Bible is the living word of God, and it fits our lives every day. Verse 8, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The dragon, Satan, defeated, and his angels along with him are not allowed in heaven. There's no place for them there. Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
So the real big thing you need to know about this passage right here, the big thing you need to know right now is that this is the passage that's showing us that the devil has been thrown down and thrown to the earth along with his angels. So not just this single one little individual that's trying to ruin our lives and ruin the world and, and disrupt all that God is doing, but the devil and his angels thrown down to earth. That's what this is. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The Bible is so good at helping us think through big issues in life. Today I want to talk about the big thing that's going on here in the context You've got the devil trying to do away with what God's doing in the world. You've got the devil hoping to kill Christ. He was there, the baby's about to be born, and he wanted to devour him, but the passage last, last time showed us that he didn't. As soon as the baby was born, God made it, made it go well. He wasn't able to get to the baby, and so then Satan turns, recognizing that he cannot beat the devil. Satan turns and goes after people, specifically God's people. And that's what we have going on here. You could get lost in all this war and what's going on and, and when was this. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of talk in a, in a general belief that Satan originally was just a, a good angel and he rebelled in heaven and got cast out of heaven. And, and if, if, if that is the case, and most people believe that, I don't think that's what this is referring to. This is referring more to the work of Christ and the salvation in the world and the struggle that we have in the world of the devil trying to defeat what God is doing. This is a bigger scene here than just where did Satan originate from. This passage is less about Satan's origin, and this passage is more about the life that the world is living where Satan is trying to ruin us. Satan knows that his time is short because he's been defeated. I want to remind you that it says that back in verse 8. He was defeated. And I want to remind you that at the end of verse 12, it says, even Satan knows that his time is short. He knows that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He knows that Jesus Christ is the God-man, 100% God, came in the flesh and reigns on high. He knows that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He knows that Jesus Christ is the very God that he interacted with in the book of Job. Remember that? We preached through Job years ago. Remember where God in all of his confidence dealt with Satan in the book of Job? Remember that? And it was God that even suggested Job to Satan. And God was not moved or bothered by whatever Satan wanted to do because God is the one that reigns. Satan knows this. But Satan, in his defeat, in his loss, in his dying, is trying to ruin the world. This passage is about that. 
I want to remind you that we find ourselves in chapter 12 coming at the end of the seventh trumpet. Remember, chapter 11 ended with the seven trumpets. We have to keep remembering you that. And there's really no question to what the seventh trumpet was about. That was the end of the world. That was the return of Christ. That was that. And so now Revelation has brought us to the end, and yet we kind of go to a different scene. And now we're seeing some of these things played out or some application or some instruction about what's going down in this world of all the moving parts. Chapter 11 brought the end of the world, but now chapters 12 and 13 and 14 are giving us just more layers of all that's going on in this world. One of them is the devil being defeated, war in heaven, thrown down to earth, and just him going crazy trying to kill, steal, and destroy This morning, I want to give us two points that would come out of this passage. Number one, the struggle is real. Number two, the salvation is real. Number one, the struggle is real. And number two, the salvation is real. Life is difficult. This afternoon, in just a few hours, Three young ladies in our church are going to attend the funeral and the burial of their 50-year-old father who was killed in a motorcycle accident earlier this week. I know you've heard that story of the cop that was killed. They were a part of our church. That funeral was out of town in Glasgow this afternoon. Life is incredibly hard for a 12-year-old girl or a a college student or a young lady in her 20s who will have to bury her father and try to make sense of that and all of the challenges of life. On Friday, we had the high school football team down here as we fed them. Just a blessing of a ministry that our church has. Our church people serve so well with that. We were about done with the dinner. People were starting to clean up. We were getting ready to give them a, a pregame speech, and one of the coaches arrived super late. We were cleaning up, and our kitchen crew does a great job, and they noticed that, and they tell coach, come on over. There's about 10 coaches that come. The coach gets here late, and he comes in, and we're, our people flag. I'm like, hey, we got food for you. Come on over here. We, we still want you to eat, and they get him taken care of, and our, our ladies there are so incredibly serving and helpful and fix them up a drink and fix them up a hot plate and get them a seat and just incredible service here. So we sat down with him. I said, so coach, how you doing? Everything going okay? Here's what he said. Now this is a guy who works a job, gets off job, hurries on a Friday, tries to make it to a church to catch a pregame meal by three or four o'clock, gonna have a ball game that night at seven o'clock, not gonna get out of there until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I mean, just a big, full, hard life. He sits down and says, how's it going, coach? He said, I'm hanging in there, man. Life's just kicking my butt. And that's not an uncommon expression for us, is it? You've probably said that before. Life's kicking my butt. The struggle's real. Now, I said two weeks ago that life is hard, and it's not always the devil's fault. You and I need to be man enough and woman enough and mature enough and honest enough to realize Sometimes life's kicking my butt and it's all my fault. I've been lazy or irresponsible or foolish and done things. And, and sometimes it's my fault and I need, to, I need to do that. I need to recognize that. And sometimes we know that, okay? But sometimes life's kicking our butt and man, we've been trying hard to do the right thing. We've been making some good decisions. 
This morning, I want us to be reminded that the struggle in life is real. And one of the huge elements of it is this dragon, who is Satan, who is a real spiritual force opposing God. He was kicked out of heaven for starting a war. He was thrown down to earth. And I want to focus in for a few minutes on verse 9, and let's spend some time there. Verse 9 says, and that great dragon was thrown down, and it says that ancient serpent. There's a few ways that we see him described here. What does it mean when it says that ancient serpent? Do you remember that? What's that take your mind to, right? That should take your mind to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve were there, and there's no sin. It is paradise. Everything is all good. There's no death there. It was all good. God had just created this beautiful world. Everything was wonderful there. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us that a snake, a serpent, just shows up on the scene. At Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, out of nowhere. Genesis 1 and 2 are so awesome. Chapter 3 says, Now the serpent, uses the word serpent, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? Now that's what the devil's like. He's described in Revelation 12 as that ancient serpent. And what he said to Eve that day, many, many years ago, he still says to you now. He still says that to you now. Did God actually say that? Is that really true? Should I I keep in 2022 and literally all the issues that I've got to deal with and think through these days, should I keep believing that this book is the way, the truth, and the life and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? God actually say that? That actually, I mean, is is this really the straight and narrow that you should be laboring to be on? Eve answers back and then he comes back and said, he comes back and he says to her, you will not surely die. God had said to them, you you do that, you're going to die. God had said that. I mean, everybody knows that. It was a good thing. It was a good rule. Y'all, there's so many rules in our lives that are good. And when God gives us rules, they're good rules. They're helpful for us. And here comes Satan, crafty and deceptive, saying, Did God actually say that? Come on, you're not going to die. It'll be good. You're going to know the difference of good and evil. You'll be smarter. You'll you'll be like God. This will be a good thing. You, You can do this. And you're not in a garden trying to decide which fruit you should eat. But you're in a life that has struggle with it. And there's a serpent whose roots are from ancient days. He's trying to get you to not believe God. After verse 9 says he's the ancient serpent, it says, who is called the devil and Satan. That ancient serpent, the great dragon, is the devil and Satan. This means that he is a tempter and he is a slanderer. This means that the devil, Satan, has a strategy to ruin people's lives. 
We think of all the ways that he tempts. He tries to get people to do what they shouldn't. He tries to get people to do the wrong thing. He tries to get you to do something that you should not do. And one of the ways that he does that is to get you to think that it would be a good thing. So it appears to be a good thing or good for you or this is what I need to do. And he gets you to think about it in that way. And then once you do it, you're often made aware that that was not the good thing to do. This is the strategy of Satan. He slanders He tears down. He accuses. Then it says, he is the deceiver of the whole world. So he's the ancient serpent. He's the Satan and the devil. And he's the deceiver of the whole world. Now this is a big time Christian doctrine. But in our sins, we are deceived. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins and that we are unable to see and understand the truth fully and clearly. We Christians believe that. We are blinded to the truth and we are blinded ultimately to what is good and understanding it clearly. And so we struggle and the struggle is real. But here the Bible is helping us see that so much of the the, the struggle and the hurt and the confusion that is in our world is because Satan and one of his main avenues of working is to deceive people. To get you think in a way that you shouldn't be thinking. To get you to think about something in a way that doesn't have all the facts. To get you to see something in a way where you don't see everything. And you're deceived This is very, very consistent with what the whole Bible teaches. And I want to show you just a few. You can take notes on these passages. Revelation 20, verse 3. So we're getting toward the very, very end of it. says this. And they threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. One of Satan's biggest hopes is that he can get people to not believe God. You know, I think about how many marriages are going on right now where they're trying hard to make it work without thinking God's way would be helpful. I think about how many efforts are going on in our world today, whether it's with kids or whether it's with education or whether it's just trying to make a difference in the world, and so much of it is being done. And some people are working so hard for causes but they think God's truth should not be included. They're deceived in that. God's way is the best way. And the Bible teaches us that it is Satan's desire and mode of action. It's his game plan to deceive. And this is what he does. You might remember the passage from 2 Corinthians that says this really clearly. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4.4 says. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinded people from seeing the truth. That's what he's doing. That's his strategy. Or in Ephesians chapter 2, you hear him described like this in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The devil is trying to deceive, slander, tear us up, get us to move in a direction that's not the way God wants us to go. The devil is trying to get us to live in this world with, which, which takes a lot of reaction for us to be very reactionary because so many things are changing without having first been proactive on here's the truth, here's the light, here's the guide, here's my instruction, here, here, here's what God is teaching me. And the devil's doing that. There's one other thing that fits here, but we don't see it until you jump down to verse 10. Look what it says in verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Look at this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. You know how real, like, guilty conscience and shame and a feeling of unworthiness? I had to go to the doctor this week. I go right up here to the doctor right in Fairdale. I've been going there for a long time. I love it there. They, they give me great service. I had one symptom all week, stomach pain. One symptom, that's all I had. Hospital made me take a COVID test. They said I had the symptoms. I said, no way I have symptom COVID test. Had to take a COVID test. But I go down here to the doctor. I get done with everything, got a stomach pain, and they're like, we need you, we need you to fill this, sur- this, fill this survey out, please. So I get to working on the clipboard, and in the past two weeks, have you hated yourself? In the past two weeks, have you had feelings of lowliness? In the past two weeks, have you thought about hurting yourself? In the past two weeks, have you been depressed? And all of these things, and I said, this questionnaire is to get me to see if I'm depressed, right? She said, yeah. We have to do this with every single person that comes in here, no matter what. There's a whole lot of feeling of unworthiness in our world, folks. Whether it's right or, or not, you know, it's a loaded conversation. What's causing it, I, you know, it's a loaded conversation. But the Bible tells us Satan loves that. You ever been around somebody that's just accusing you all the time? You ever been around somebody, all they do is tear down? You know, the Bible says that Christians build up. The Bible actually says if you can't say something that fits the occasion, that builds up, don't say it. Shut your mouth, go find your prayer closet and repent and get your heart right. We build up. Christians are those who know how to edify, speak words that help, they love, they encourage. Man, I needed to hear that. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you. Man, I've been over at the workplace all week. I ain't heard anything. All I do is get yelled at. All I do is get put down. All I do is get insulted. Christians are those that build up. Satan is the leader of accusation. Make you feel worse about everything. Make you think that you're lowly. Guilt, shame, worthy, unworthiness, all of that stuff that's horrible is not of God. It is from Satan. It's his very tactic. He's been defeated from the war in heaven. He's been thrown down to earth. And before the very end when Christ comes and wraps it all up, he's just going to try, try to tear us up. And he's accusing. He's accusing. 
The Bible says here that he was accusing people to God day and night. But what this passage is teaching us is that because of the work of Christ, what happened on the cross, right? See, the the devil thought the cross was doing away with Jesus. It's It's the wonderful good news of the Bible, isn't it? That the worst sin ever was the greatest thing ever. The killing of Jesus, which is awful, was the best thing ever. That's our life. That's where we find life. That's where we get forgiveness of sins. And so the devil and all of his master working is is foolish that he didn't know that. And so what he did in killing Christ served God's plan to be the savior of the world. And so our salvation, which I'm I'm quickly moving into my second point here, our, our salvation is based off the work of Christ. So if the devil is the accuser, accusing us of all that we do wrong and telling God of all that we do wrong, God, they're not worthy to be saved. God, they ain't as good as they think they are. God, they're not as good as you say they are. They're not as clean as you think they are. They're not as pure as they think you are. They're not as innocent as you think they are, God. They're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. And the devil is able to say this about us all the time. Except in the gospel, In the good news, that's been flipped upside down. We are never saved by being good or innocent or pure. We're never saved by something that we do. We are saved by the work of Christ. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross in all of his holiness and righteousness and purity, and God took our sins on him and he died on the cross, God was pleased, happy. It was fitting and purposeful and glorious. God killed our sins and he killed death and he killed the devil and the work of Christ. And when Christ came back to life, there's no accusation against us now. What can you say about somebody to accuse them? Oh, they're a sinner. Well, that's exactly the point. We know we're sinners. We're here today saying it before Satan says it. When we woke up this morning, we knew that we were sinners. But we have a Savior that we just sang about that died for sinners. So every time Satan points out that we're sinful, it highlights, I mean, it puts on display, Jesus died for sinners. And it's the most stinging, painful reality for Satan. He hates this reality that all of the accusations now have been done away with in the real salvation. Shriner speaking about this very issue. Now, I'm moving now from the struggle is real because of what Satan is doing to the salvation is real. Shriner speaking on this says, the point of the text is more profound that Satan's being li- than Satan's being literally locked out of heaven. The point is that he has no warrant or basis to accuse believers now that Christ has come. Listen, God pays no heed to Satan's accusations since sin's penalty has been paid by the blood of the lamb. The accuser wants to say we're bad, we're wrong, we're sinful, we've sinned against God. And God's good news message is that he's already said that about us. You need to stop listening to the devil's accusations and start believing God's message 
that you are a sinner and God forgives sinners. And in light of Christ, we are made new, we are forgiven, we are redeemed and restored. Our identity is not in our performance or obedience. Our identity is in Jesus's. And so that's why my second point this morning is that the salvation is real. In the very place of this crazy scene of war in heaven and Satan thrown down, we get what we get in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, okay? The accuser's been thrown down, verse 11. And they have conquered him. The salvation is real. There are people that have conquered this awful devil, not because of their own efforts, but because of Christ's saving work in them. The salvation experience is real. There is such a thing as I've been washed in the blood. I've been forgiven of my sins. I am redeemed. God is working in me. That's why we sing these songs. There's a hymn that we sing that says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the message. There's another hymn that's not quite as old that says, the blood will never lose its power. Here we have conquering over this dragon, this ancient serpent, this devil and Satan, this liar, slanderer, this accuser. We have conquering victory over him. And then it seems to tell us, and I'm gonna say it's three little things, okay, and we'll be done. It seems to tell us three ways that there's conquering. Verse 11 says, they conquer him by the blood of the lamb. This is so absolutely critical to understand in Christianity and Bible study and New Testament study, right? That the blood of Jesus represents that he is the real God-man, that he is the son of man, that he is the fulfillment of everything Old Testament, that he is the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb of God. It was pleasing to God for Christ to die for us. His blood represents all of that. His blood represents his life that was given for us. And we hear this mention of the blood all the time. In the very beginning of Revelation, in Revelation chapter one, verse five, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. At the beginning of this book, at the introduction of Christ, the first time you see him, man, the one that loves us, the one that freed us, man, the, our savior by his blood. In the song in Revelation 5, it's brought up by his blood. In the song in Revelation 7, it's brought up by his blood. To understand Christ is to understand the fullness of what the cross and sin and death and judgment and wrath are about, and the blood brings it all together. We have conquered by the blood. The Savior died for us. After the blood, it says, and by the word of their testimony. What a beautiful thing a testimony is. A testimony is some, when somebody's able to testify. 
When somebody's able to say, I'll tell you what I saw. I'll tell you what happened. I'll be a witness to that. And when a Christian's able to say, hey, he forgives me of my sins. I know I've sinned, but he forgives me. That's what the blood was about. That's what the cross was about. That's what the empty tomb's about. That's what the risen Savior's about. He's changed my life. I'm telling y'all, he gave me peace on the inside. I'm telling y'all, he removed the guilt. He, he cleansed my conscience. He's forgiven my sins. And the Bible says here that by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they are conquerors over this devil. And they are faithful to their testimony. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the law of death and sin has been overcome by the law of life in Christ Jesus. Believers have a testimony. We don't have answers to everything in the world. There's a lot of things that we're curious about and shake our head out. We, we don't really know. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, and whoever puts their faith in him will be saved, will be forgiven. And that's our testimony. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that does that. And then these conquerors are described in one more way at the end of verse 11. They've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Even if God's people are slain, they will continue to confess that Jesus is Lord. We hope it doesn't come to that. But don't think for a second that somebody with a testimony will recant their testimony simply because the devil is attacking our testimony is that the blood of Christ has washed away our sins, that our identity is in a God who loves us, our Father in heaven. That's our identity. And that love is out of this world. The Bible says nothing in Romans 8 can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God's love is better than life in Psalm 63. The love that is inside of a believer is a love that is so much bigger than these simple little pleasures that we experience in these lives. The love of God is real, it's everlasting, it's life-changing, it sticks with us, it does not leave us. Being loved by God is truly the greatest thing in the world, being loved by God. This is why parenting is so incredibly important, where we are to love our kids and love our kids and love our kids in a way that points them toward the great love of God. So much so that with an ancient serpent, the devil, the liar, the Satan, and all the accusations, a war in heaven thrown down to earth, there will be people that even against that dragon will love God even if he kills them. That's what it says in verse 11. They loved not their lives even unto death. In Christianity, there is a love deeper, more meaningful, and way more real than what this world can offer. There is a love bigger than loving self. There is a love bigger than loving pleasure. There is a love bigger than simply trying to find what makes you happy. There is a loving God that loves us. And there is loving him back because he first loved us. 
that is a treasure that nobody can take from us. That is a treasure that will unquestionably take us all the way home, through the fire, through the end, through the judgment. As Matt read that passage earlier from Matthew 24, and it just says so bluntly, right? When Matt read that, I kind of thought to myself, like, man, that's kind of a hard passage to ask Matt to read, right? Ah, oh, they're going to hate you, and they're going to kill you. So it said in Matthew 24, and it's the words of Jesus when we read that. The Bible says there that the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. And the Bible gives promise over and over again that he is with us. He will be with us. The devil wants so badly to get us to give up. The devil wants so badly to get us to turn against God. The devil wants so badly to believe all of the evil things about us that he accuses us of, some that are true and some that aren't true. But we have come to know that in Christ there is the love of God shaping our lives. So that we love, we love that God loves us even to the point of death. That salvation is real. Sometimes it's hard for us to read a passage like this and think, you know, is, is this really what's going on in the world? Is, is this real Christianity? I want to read to you a short little biography. This is coming out of England in the 1500s. You may have heard this story before. This book is called The Five English Performers, written by J.C. Ryle. I want to tell you of the first one. This is a book about some martyrs. His name is John Rogers. John Rogers had been consistent to what the Bible says. He had been opposing the church that was teaching what the Bible did not say. And he stood up for that. He was committed to the word. He said he was committed to the word even if his enemies had the sword. I want to read this heavy passage to you. On the morning of his martyrdom, again, this is the 1500s in England, 1550, on the morning of his martyrdom, he was roused hastily in his cell in Newgate and hardly allowed time to dress himself. He was then led forth to Smithfield on foot within sight of the church of the St. Sepulchre, where he had preached and through the streets of the parish where he had done the work of a pastor. By the wayside stood his wife and their ten children, one being a baby, whom Bishop Bonner in his diabolical cruelty had flatly refused him leave to see while in prison. He just saw them, but was hardly allowed to stop. And then he walked on calmly to the stake, repeating to himself Psalm 51. An immense crowd lined the street and filled every available spot in Smithfield. Up to that day, men could not tell how English reformers would behave in the face of death. And they could hardly believe that they would actually give their bodies to be burned for their religion. But when they saw John Rogers, the first martyr, walking steadily and unflinchingly into a fiery grave, the enthusiasm of the crowd knew no bounds. They rent the air with thunders of applause. Even the French ambassador wrote home a description of the scene and said that Rogers went to death as if he was walking to his wedding. By God's great mercy, he died with comparative ease. We don't know a lot of stories like that. Got kids in here today, and by the grace of God, may you carefully discuss that with them. But history 
of this world is filled with stories like that. Filled with stories like that. Of people who have held out that Jesus Christ is the true Savior in the world who forgives sins and restores lives and helps us through the struggle that's real by bringing us to a salvation that is real. We can try all we want to try to just be good people and hope that things turn out for the best. But this passage seems to say that the devil's a little bit more active and more successful than just making things go bad. He lies, slanders, kills, steals, destroys. He's deceptive. He's evil. He's going against God, and he accuses. But in the face of this tough life, there is a real salvation, those who know Jesus. The passage moves on at verse 13 through 17 and says that the devil then goes after the woman, but he can't get the woman, which I'm saying is the people of God, so then he turns and goes after the woman's offspring. I think just means more, this just means more the people of God. He's going after God's people, but his time is short. Once he's not able to, you got some great stuff there. Once he, actually, I'll preach those verses even more better next week. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, listen. We have to understand that the salvation that we preach so boldly, that Christ is the Savior, is not a band-aid that we're trying to put on lives that have small issues. Oh, that Christians would truly be representatives of what life is really about and the struggles that are in this life. May we see that the struggle of this life, of what God is doing, is going against what the devil is trying to do. All of us walk around in our lives recognizing that there are so many people around us lost in need of God. May we believe that Christ is the Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for Revelation 12 and the dragon and how you've defeated him. No question about it, God, the dragon is defeated. And Father, this morning we thank you for the victory that there is in Christ. We thank you, God, that the blood and the testimony and the love is conquering. God, we pray that you would make our identities strong in you. Father, make us a church that is not hypocritical. Make us a church that is not going through the motions, but is experiencing a real salvation, a life change. Father, we ask your blessing on us now. Give us a lasting faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.